0: Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Simon Webster, membership marketing manager of the Chartered Insurance Institute. In this episode, I'll be talking to Tracy Brooks and Tim Nash. In this episode of the podcast, we're discussing the value of professional designations. I'm joined by Tracy Brooks, chartered financial planner at 75.3, and Tim Nash, head of product recall, Bowering Marsh UK and board member for the CII's Brooking community. Here is my conversation with Tracy and Tim. Hello to you both and thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Hello Simon. Hi Simon. Firstly, Tracy, you're a chartered financial planner and a fellow of the Personal Finance Society. Can you just talk us through your journey to becoming chartered?
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's a journey that took seven years to complete. Um, It began when I was 21 years old, when I was part of a a graduate scheme where I was training to become a financial planner. The scheme comprised of me working with experienced advisors, attending meetings with them, doing all the relevant research and report writing. But in addition to this, I was also sitting the certificate exams, known as CIFAR at the time. Um, And these exams I needed to pass to be allowed to be able to give advice to clients um all in all those exams and training lasted about 10 months before I eventually became a financial planner and I thought as I was in the swing of sitting exams and I'm I'm someone that loves to learn and be the best in everything I do I decided to work towards obtaining the diploma in financial planning which at the time wasn't a minimum requirement and qualification requirement to be a financial advisor these exams were much harder than the certificate exams There were two-hour written exams where I could only sit twice a year. Therefore, if you failed, you had to wait a while before resetting. Um, And that process took me about two and a half years to complete. And then once I obtained my diploma status, I decided to aim higher and attain the Chartered Financial Planner and Fellow status. And to become Chartered and Fellow, you need at least five years sector experience, obtain a certain amount of exam credits and sit at least four advanced exams. Like the diploma exams, you can only set these twice a year. Therefore, assuming I passed each exam first time, I knew it was taking at least two years to complete. Once I passed three of the exams, advanced exams, all I needed to sit was an exam known as AF5 to achieve the chart status. However, instead of sitting that exam, I decided to go down a different route and set a coursework style exam with the Institute of Financial Planning, which if I passed, exempt me from sitting AF5, as they both cover the same areas of knowledge. Uh, the, the reason for me taking this approach was that even though I knew it would take me longer to eventually obtain charter status, by passing this course, it would mean that I would not only obtain chartered and fellow financial planning status, but also certified financial planning status, which are both highly recognised qualifications in our, in our industry.
0: So on that, that journey to becoming chartered is really a, a combination of of exams and, and coursework and study as well as practical experience within the in the workplace yeah. So really
1: Yeah so it's a lot of work a lot of sacrifice but well worth it in the end definitely
0: And having obtained chartered financial planner status how has that benefited you in your career
1: I think becoming chartered has meant that overall I've become a more confident advisor, not not only in my technical ability, but also how I give advice. You know, now I get like accountants and solicitors picking my brains regarding certain things, whether that be inheritance tax or trust, etc., which has led to me increasing my network of professionals uh, that refer clients onto me. And I also get a lot more referrals from clients, too. But I think in addition to this, being chartered has changed the way I'm seen within 75.3. Colleagues will now come up to me to ask me questions on certain topics or client cases asking me for my opinion and what advice I would give and why and what approach I would take when giving the advice. And also I now mentor people within the company who, who are either already financial planners or are training to become financial planners. And I'm also like part of various committees within, you, within the company and generally taking on more managerial responsibilities. So, so yeah, being chartered has definitely benefited my career.
0: Good. And Tim, over on the insurance side of of our business, so you're a fellow of the Chartered Insurance Institute, which is the highest designation a member can achieve. So how long did it take you to become a fellow and what was the process behind getting there?
2: So I started that journey back in 2012 and completed it last year. So ten years, all in, uh, on and off, uh, but a bit of a process and, and somewhat structured in in a similar way. So you've got different levels of uh, the qualification designation side of things. So to start with, you've got the certificate insurance, and then you've got the diploma insurance, and then the advanced diploma. And that's where most people would stop. The advanced diploma, you can use the letters ACI. I Uh, from that perspective. Then after that, it's pushing on for the fellowship. So the first part of that to get to ACII probably took about four years. There's a lot of graduates coming into the industry who have to do all of that within two years. And then that latter part, just that fellowship piece, you have a four-year window to do that in. Uh, Because of COVID, I I had a year's extension. But I had one stumbling block on one of the modules, one of the bits of the fellowship side of things, and that was a business. This ethics program, not to say I'm unethical, it was just the way in which it was uh, assessed at that time. And then they changed that process at the end of 2021. Uh, and that just kick started everything back into action at the start of 2022 for me again. So the actual content and providing what was needed for the fellowship I did throughout last year. But family and everything else got in the way in, the, in that four year window in between. Well
0: congratulations to you both on
2: achieving these you know really prestigious
0: titles. You both display your designations in your LinkedIn profiles I noticed. Tim what what do you achieve by doing this?
2: I think it's a great way just to showcase actually your commitment to your profession, your career and actually the type of individual and practitioner that you want to be. For me I've put the hard work in. I want to demonstrate that actually I've, I've gone the distance and I've done what I can. Because ultimately, I look at those designations and I've worked hard for them. And I work hard for myself. I'm going to work hard for a client. And if I'm not demonstrating that I'm going to work hard for myself and actually be the best I can be, go through the professional side of things, then actually I'm not demonstrating to any clients or prospects that I would do the same for them. So for me, it very much is I want to be the best that I can be. To be the best for the clients and actually if I'm not pushing myself I don't or continuously pushing myself I don't believe clients would get the best from me.
0: And Tracy in your client facing role as a financial planner I notice you include your letters in your email signature so I'm just wondering do, do your clients understand what the letters or titles mean do you explain it to them how does it all come together?
1: Yeah I would say for most clients when they see the word chartered I do think they understand what it means. You know, I think they they see it as a high standard of professionalism, but probably unless clients work in a professional capacity, I doubt they understand the level of work and dedication it's taken me to achieve the status. Um, However, you know, when when clients see all the letters after my name, they do ask me what that all means, and I will go on to explain how I achieve them, and and that makes them realise the level of commitment it's taken me to achieve the status, which... You know, I think in turn, it gives them comfort knowing that they are working with a, with a very capable financial planner.
0: Yep. And just thinking beyond client relationships, when it comes to employers, for example, how do you think employers view designatory letters and what value do they place on them when they're recruiting new employees? Um, Tim, would you perhaps like to answer first?
2: Yeah, as a hiring manager, I always look for that. But I think at different levels, you'd get different responses. At a senior level, you're going to have individuals who very much focus on experience, where have they been, what have they done, and what can they bring to the table. For a junior and a mid-level now, I think it's hard for those individuals to really look to get into a role without having invested the time into those qualifications. If you look, again, at the graduate schemes, most of the graduate schemes out there it's the compulsory that you have to complete up to the ACII level, and as an employer as well, we will always support individuals who want to go down the road of the professional development side of things. So covering the cost of the study materials, covering the cost of examinations, and then providing awards as well. So there's a lot of support out there for individuals from. An employer's perspective, in in definitely some of the bigger employers' perspective, to help individuals obviously go down that road of getting the designation uh, that they want.
0: And Tracy, over on the financial planning side of things, is is it, is it any different when it comes to employers and the value they place on these letters?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would say you know employers, you know clearly clearly, they view the professional letters with, you know with the highest respect, as they understand that to achieve such status and their ability as a financial planner must be at a very high standard, you know. You know, being chartered makes you an asset to an employer, you know, as you represent, you know, high standards of excellence in knowledge and ethics and professional development. So when it comes to recruiting new employees, I would say recruiting a chartered financial planner is very valuable, you know, especially if the company has or or wants to have the chartered financial planner title.
0: Great, thank you. Um, now, Tracy, you said I think it took you seven years to become chartered. Tim, your journey to fellow took 10 years. So if there's anyone listening to this podcast who's just started out in either of our professions or just com- thinking about coming into it, you know, what, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about their, their journey through to becoming chartered or fellow?
1: I think it's important that when starting the journey to childhood or fellow status that, you know, they they understand the level of work it takes to achieve it. You know, you're working all day and then studying in the evenings as well as possibly raising a family. You know, however, obtaining the status not only brings positive to your career it really enhances your career. So I think they should view it as short-term pain for long-term gain. But I believe that, you know, if you're someone that is passionate about the career, that, you know, wants to learn and be the best that they can possibly be, you know, as well as helping raising the standards of our profession, then the journey would be much smoother and and enjoyable.
0: And Tim, from an insurance perspective, do you have anything to add to Tracy's answer?
2: I'll just make sure that you put the time in up front to think about the roadmap, where you want to go. And actually, there's a lot of choice. And so you can choose the modules that you're interested in. Yes, there's core. Uh, elements that you need to cover off. But outside of that, there's, there's marketing and a whole load of other things that you can focus on and actually build into your learning. It also gives you a good sense of the wider insurance industry as well. So, mm-hmm. if you are fairly niche and specialist in your area, it gives you a good overview. But I'd also have a look to see what help there is. That self-learning is difficult, giving yourself the motivation to do the evenings or the weekends actually look what's around there. A number of the different institutes are there to support you. I'm, I'm part of the Insurance Institute of London and, and there's a qualification mentoring scheme, which is open every year to help people navigate through that. Applications are open for that at the moment. And it's a really good way to meet like-minded people, but actually have those peers to help support you on your journey to get through the various modules and levels that you want to get to.
0: I'm glad you mentioned uh, mentoring there and support from your peers because we have a, a mentoring platform called Connect. And I think it's one of the ways we can add value to, to members that you can uh, identify and meet with other individuals who can support your journey through the different uh, levels of, of membership. Finally, just to, to wrap up, in terms of being members of the CII or the PFS, what, what other benefits of membership do you find most useful? Um, Tim, would you like to go first?
2: Sure. So, from my perspective, I've been engaged at a number of different levels. So, I was on the new generation scheme, which is a CII uh, scheme for up and coming individuals who've got to a certain point through the uh, ACII. And actually having a project, meeting like-minded people, building a network there was fantastic. And then on the back of that, as you mentioned at the start, I now sit on the Broking Community Board and actually having an input there to help come to the table with ideas about what we should be covering various topics and helping support the broken community. So, all in, that all just adds to building a really strong network of other individuals inside the insurance industry and just gives me a much more rounded focus on what we do in insurance rather than being sat uh, with my blinkers on at my desk and just thinking, right, I've just got to get through my inbox today. But actually, there's a lot more happening and there's a lot more to be engaging with. Yeah, great. Thank you. And Tracy, from a personal finance society perspective, which
0: um, benefits of membership stand out to you?
1: Well, I just think it's more, um, you know, PFS holds a lot of regular events, whether that's training courses, seminars, workshops, webinars. Um, But these events, they're very useful to meet with other financial planners um, and learn from them see what they're up to you know whether we can pick their brains and certain things or learn you know learn like their back office system etc but I think what also is good about the events is that they help keep me up to date with changes that are introduced by, by the regulator or by the government um, uh, and as well as having events that can help on, on, on my self-development as well.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Tracy and Tim, for joining me on the podcast today. It was really good to talk with you both and hear your views on um, achieving chartered and fellowship status of our membership bodies.
1: Thank you, Simon. to you soon.
0: My pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. For more podcasts and useful links, please visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Until next time, goodbye.